Hello to all, we are very happy to be back. This is De Facto, I am Ricardo Salas and I have the great honor to be in company of Julian Lang and Valentina Pagi who are all in this very same room. That's very exciting. How are you guys? Uh, chilly. It's cold in Berlin today. And, uh, but I think it's going to be a good start to our third season. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I'm very happy to be back, actually. How was your exchange semester, Valentina? Uh, Geneva is quite boring, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be back in Berlin. Well, we're happy to have you here and happy to be back on track. This is our third season and uh, as you know in de facto we like to uh, to talk about international uh, affairs and particularly uh, things that have an impact for uh, governance and democracy so uh, today's topic is no exception today we are going to be talking about the blockchain technology and its implications for uh, a number of things uh, uh, from finances which is the, the case of cryptocurrencies but also uh, to governance uh, voting rights and many many other other things so it's going to be an, an interesting episode uh, Julian yeah so uh, we're we're very happy to have our guests today, uh, Georges Delvieux. He is a class of 2018 dual degree MPP student. His previous studies have focused on economic development, happiness, and waste management. How are you doing today, Georges? Great. It's a pleasure to be here. And we're also happy to have uh, Josephine Pioc. She is a second year MIA student whose master thesis is focusing on the potential of blockchain in sub-Saharan Africa. We're very happy to have you on. Thank you uh, for having me as well. And as always, Valentina has uh, a brief description of what uh, the blockchain technology is, and we'll be talking about this in a few moments. By now, I think everybody heard about Bitcoin, um, uh, which is the first decentralized digital currency um, known for its very high volatility uh, as well as its anonymity. Uh, but uh, we also know that underneath this uh, revolutionary cyber, cyber currency is a technology called blockchain and that's what we're going to talk about today. And um, some experts see a future where it helps eliminate fraud and increase cybersecurity. Um, the blockchain technology captured imaginations as a revolutionary concept that could disrupt society even and its current structures. Um, initially was conceived as the backbone of the Bitcoin indeed in uh, 2009 by the creator going by the pseudonym uh, Satoshi Nakamoto um, and uh, this blockchain was a proposed alternative to the non-transparent and government-controlled centralized banking system. Um, and indeed at the fundamental level the blockchain performs the same tasks as a bank um, so it keeps a reco record uh, of all the transactions between users by using though a decentralized ledger approach uh, and this web uh, infrastructure is set to ultimately um, make transactions transparent, non-manipulable and very secure. Um, Despite these very hard expectations though and alleged benefits of such technology, some experts argue that it has some drawbacks in terms of its environmental costs and lack of regulation, while others wonder about the political will to widely adopt this technology given the huge interests behind uh, intermediation in general. Thank you guys for being here. We're very excited because this is the first time that we have uh, two people from the very same nationality. So uh, we, we also know that Francis is also at the forefront of many technologies. So I, I, I bet blockchain is not a, not the exception. No, well, I, I, I mean no uh, no irony in this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's um, there's quite a lot of development in this sense. But you you of course have have more more knowledge in this sense. Um, a very basic question, I guess, that we can we can start. Valentina already talked a little bit about blockchain, but I guess um, for the people who are not really familiar with it, 
Um, could we discuss a little bit of what really is blockchain, what lies behind this technology and how um, hopefully we can express it as simple as possible for people that are just listening to this for, for the first time. Yeah, blockchain for dummies, let's say. <laughs> Um, so the other name of blockchain is distributed ledger technology because it's a decentralized network uh, where instead of having, for instance, one server holding all the information, all the network, all the computers have access to the network. And so the other great feature of, of blockchain is that thanks to cryptography or uh, data or input that is being put on the blockchain is uh, intemperable. And I think that's something is, that's really important to say, and I think Valentina's introduction was already quite um, uh, complete, is that on blockchain, any data can be recorded. So, of course, what we've seen mostly with Bitcoin is that transactions are being recorded, but virtually any data can be recorded. It can be, for instance, the proof of ownership of a car. It can be your digital identity. And I think that if we want to talk about the global potential of blockchain, it is really important to understand how wide its applications can be. So uh, in a nutshell, um, sorry to cut, to cut you off, but uh, would you say that this is basically a technology that allows to, uh, to record any sort of information without a central uh, authority and in a in, in a very reliable manner. Is, yeah. is that a good uh, summary? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's a very fair account of what it is. Uh, and one of the really exciting things about it is that uh, it cannot be changed and uh, that anyone can participate in the network. So it's totally open and it's completely global. Which is uh, why it's being become so revolutionary. Uh, I, I bet uh, Julian also has some questions. Yeah, so to bring it, uh, keep it down at the basics for right now, uh, how will blockchain affect the average person? Is it, do you guys have ideas? How what what does it mean for people now? What will it mean for people in ten years from now? Let's say, for example, obviously these are hypotheticals, but just ground level, why why should uh, Joe Schmo care about this? <laughs> I mean, I think the first level understanding what's happening now is obviously cryptocurrency and trading. But I think George is better said than me to talk about this. Um, yeah, I mean, like, so some people are affected by it today because they're financially invested in it. But I think that ultimately uh, everyone's going to be um, impacted by the blockchain for various reasons because I think there's like the, the, the range of use cases is absolutely immense with blockchain. And I think that. So I think the most obvious one would be payment. So it's a mean of exchange. And that's what we see with Bitcoin, for example. But as, as you mentioned, it's also a way to store information that has nothing to do with financial transactions. So that can be um, your identity uh, informations. Uh, and I think that's one of the really exciting use cases. Um, it can be very useful for sharing economy because the way the blockchain works um, is it allows so the, the network is so decentralized that you don't need uh, any you don't need any central authority to um, to connect users. So the the thing the way Uber works at the moment is that if you want to rent a car, you always have to go through uh, the company. But with the blockchain, you will be able to connect directly with your driver. Which is uh, th that's really interesting. But also um, one of the the things I guess um, most people like about uh, the blockchain te uh, blockchain technology um, is that there uh, as you as you mentioned there is a 
a proof or some sort of record of any changes that are made to this um, information network. So all of the users or all of the parties uh, who have access to this information know immediately when a, when a change has uh, been done or when um, some, some change in information has been uh, effected, correct? Yeah, and that's why there's a very big component of blockchain which is the shift in trust mm -hmm. because I don't need to trust you, I don't need to know you in order to trade with you. And that's huge because think about every single time that you're buying something on eBay, on Amazon and how you know, you're using those rankings but everybody knows those rankings can be faulty. They can have a lot of serious data. But with the blockchain, this is impossible. You don't have to know the person. You can um, trust somebody in a completely different way. And I think that's why it's going to completely change the way we're doing business. And going back to the example of the sharing economy, for instance, thanks to the technology um, called smart contract, which works by as a domino effect. So one event triggers another one. So that's the kind of like basic concept of smart contract. In the case, for instance, of Airbnb, imagine that thanks to the Internet of Thing, uh, we can have locks and doors that are activated through um, a digital key. And so I'm going to rent my flat and the person has to pay me. And thanks to a smart contract, only upon the payment, the digital key will be sent to the person. And which means that like, when the person has paid, I have no way to retrieve the key. I, I, it's being spent as a token, basically. So right. that means that all the ranking, all the scoring that you have on websites are unnecessary because I know that if you do not pay me, I will not be, in, I will not be victim of a scam. Absolutely. That's great. Um, but um, going back to the um, idea of trust and of accountability, uh, isn't the fact that um, users are anonymous, completely anonymous, something that could be could be risky, could be considered risky? I mean, it's great in terms of privacy and data protection, yeah. but what about tracking, for example, transactions? Um, thinking of a like about a security perspective. Right. Uh, so I think that I mean, trust in in the way it's used in the blockchain is refers precisely to the fact that transaction cannot be altered. So once you send the money, you receive the good or the the service. Um, as for the tracking, I think it's a, it's a real challenge for policymakers because obviously uh, Bitcoin got famous because people were using it to buy drugs or to finance terrorist groups and the fact that it's anonymous allows you to do that and um, I personally don't know if it's, uh, if it's a necessary feature of uh, blockchain technology and I think that many uh, cryptocurrencies cryptocurrency projects actually allow people to track transactions. Um, but now for like more and more wallets up until a certain, so uh, currency, cryptocurrencies wallet up until uh, starting from a certain amount ask you to provide identification. Yeah. So the anonymity is not total and because of you know, your customer regulation it, there's no way of completely escaping those. Can we go a step back as to why uh, Bitcoin allowed for uh, anonymous transactions? Was this uh, an inherent feature uh, of, of Bitcoin when Bitcoin was assigned? Uh, was it made to be uh, or to allow anonymous transactions? So, so what I'm guessing is that different cryptocurrencies or digital uh, technologies could have this as an optional feature. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, yeah, in the Bitcoin case, anyone can create a wallet. Mm -hmm. And once you have a wallet and you're able to mine the Bitcoin, there's no one, uh, no one has uh, access to who you, your information. So 
Um, but that's not the case on mm -hmm. all projects, and as, as you very uh, rightfully said, uh, there are projects increasingly uh, that um, ask people for KYC, know your customer. So in a, in a um, let's say in an imaginary world, or, or perhaps in a in a somewhat near future, uh, maybe some countries will decide to um, only allow cryptocurrencies that have this uh, this feature. Could, could yeah. it be I think safe to say? That's very that's very possible because, for instance, when you look at other mobile money services, or even as of now, when you buy a SIM card, for instance, you need to always show identification. So if you uh, force, for instance, if you enforce a regulation that forces every single um, cryptocurrency wallet to ask for ID from the first token exchanged, then you can kind of erase anonymity and be sure of who's being, what is trading what. Yeah. Um, so I have a question and it relates back to essentially the core tenet of these cryptocurrencies is that there is no central authority behind them. Um, it does spell some interesting things for the future of banking and things like that. But my question is, very recently we just had Bitcoin go through this very volatile period of the value after years of just shooting up, just suddenly dropping back down, um, and then since then remaining volatile. So my question is, is this, uh, will cryptocurrencies actually be viable as currency in the future, or are these still going to be more like investment where like stocks where I put money in and eventually I might get value out if it's good or not but without a central bank is it really viable as a currency? Um, I, so I think that there are different uh, use cases for cryptocurrencies. I think the, block, uh, the Bitcoin itself is probably going to be more like a store of value the same way gold is and uh, but I think it has a, a bright future in that regard because uh, it's a lot more reliable than gold. Um, it's much better if you want to trade it. Um, however, I think that there are better currencies for just as means of exchanges. The reason why it's so volatile at the moment is because the volume is very low. I mean, so few people own cryptocurrencies today that it means that uh, if there's suddenly people start freaking out because they don't know if it's going to be used in, in the future, they all sell. And I think that that's what, what's happening today is that... Um, there is still some doubts as to whether Bitcoin and the blockchain is ever going to be a real thing for many people who invest in it. And so um, I think that increasingly the price is going to stabilize and grow steadily. Um, I think there's such an incredibly wide range of what we can put under cryptocurrency that it's, we can ask a question completely differently. Because for instance, right now, the Dutch Central Bank I think Rwanda is also on the same path. They're developing internal cryptocurrency for their system as central banks. So, for instance, this is a completely different mm -hmm. matter of just tokenized um, assets. And this is not um, conditioned by markets. So that's one thing. Then you have, yeah, of course, Bitcoin and Ethereum that are very volatile and that are questionable because how much are they being traded if they're just store value? E Ethereum uh, being another, uh, another digital quite, currency. Yeah, famous uh, cryptocurrency mm -hmm. on the on another blockchain. Um, and then you have also all the thousands of cryptocurrencies that are being created, I mean, almost daily and almost also all the tokens, all the value, all the assets that are being put digitally. And that can be very stable because some of them are manufactured to be more stable and less volatile. Right. Um, 
Yeah, um, I'm also very fascinated, uh, fascinated by the idea of decentralization of the economic system because I mean our system is um, um, based on intermediaries and on banks and on, so like shall we imagine a world without a world without banks in the future? Because if we put into question this this very idea of intermediation in the first place, then how would the world look like with the blockchain technology all over the place? I mean, I think that. Of course, one of the great uh, ideas of blockchain is removing third parties, removing institutions. I still believe that the market is underpinned by regulation, by institution. I don't think that in the near to medium future we should aim at just not having institution. I think that it's important that we still have regulation, even if it is decentralized, even if we, we manage to bypass any form of abuses that can be done if you have a third party. Um, coming to banks, the thing is, we have also to consider that banks may, in ways, also benefit enormously from blockchain, from this technology, because the speed of transaction can be something that that banks will be very interested in. I would like to uh, go quickly to another topic, and this is something that that George uh, mentioned some some time ago when we were uh, talking of of the air, of course. Uh, well, not the air, because this is a recorded podcast, but <laughs> you get the point. Um, anyhow, Georges was mentioning that um, a lot of the, the process that um, involve blockchain technology can also be very energy intensive. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure whether this is only the case for uh, mining bitcoins or whether this is also the case for um, other other digital products. But uh, what about the environmental factor in a in a maybe mid or long term future? Uh, would this be a concern uh, once uh, our finances get uh, fully digitalized? Yeah, um, so I think we need to go back on what mining cryptocurrency is. Mm -hmm. Good, good uh, point. Mm -hmm. Because, um, so on the blockchain, a new, a new block is added to the chain every time it's mi being mined by users. And what that means is that uh, anyone can participate in solving Uh, in the case of Bitcoin, um, a mathematical operation and uh, ran and so the, the new block is being discovered by users randomly. Um, so this is part of the mining. Another part of the mining is that you have other miners who verify the new block and once it's, once it's been verified by enough users, then it's added to the chain. Um, the problem with uh, Bitcoin is what and what you mentioned is that it's extremely energy um, Uh, hung hungry because uh, uh, because finding the new block takes a lot of computing power um, I, and I think that um, so I, I heard that for any transaction on the block on the Bitcoin blockchain it takes about as much electricity as seven days of uh, daily American energy consumption which is quite a lot which is huge yeah uh, but so this is called the proof of work mm -hmm. but um, on the side of that there's also what's called the proof of stake and other mining protocols and the proof of stake is not as um, energy hungry because um, the way it works is that users in the network um, agree to put some of their money in escrow so in an account that they can't use um, as a way to make sure that the network is still stable enough. So um, if you do that, if you agree, for example, if you're on the Ethereum network and you decide that you want to put 1,000 network, 1,000 ethers on an account that's going to be locked, uh, then you're part of the staking. So you agree to stake on the network and that's the alternative to uh, the proof of work. 
that makes any sense. And also regarding to mining, so not as much uh, environmental um, uh, issues, because proof of stake is obviously an improvement from the proof of work because of because it's less uh, energy consuming. But some people have argued that because it's based on on your stake, on the amount of of coins that you're able to put on this account, it is not fair. Because then it means that the people that have the most stakes, that have the most shares, somehow in the network, are the ones that are the most able to participate. And that's why you see now a wider and wider range of proofs of, for instance, uh, there's this um, new company that is trying to uh, help access uh, to finance for uh, the unbanked, that is using what is called a proof of face. So it goes through a process of digital identification and through your face, you're showing that you have the right to mine your block. So we're seeing a lot of innovations in the way that, so things are not uh, energy consuming, but also systems are fair in giving participation to a wider range of people. Yeah, absolutely. Going on from just moving on from cryptocurrencies, because blockchain does have other implications for things like uh, potentially voting and uh, the health sector and things like that. Uh, since blockchain can storm any type of information, uh, it, it's obviously an inherently disruptive technology. And going off similar notes of what you said about, uh, or your question about banking, Valentina, um, if so much record keeping can be done on blockchain, for example, someone's entire medical history could be kept on the blockchain and kept there in a theoretically safe way, um, what does that mean for employment and people in positions of general administrative positions, record keeping, things like that? Are, are these now at risk because of this kind of technology? I mean, this is the wider debate of automation. <laughs> I mean, um, the thing that's really important, I think, to remember with blockchain is that when the data is put onto the blockchain, it is untemperable. And when it's there, we can be sure, we can trust it, it's not going to change, and if somebody tries to change it, everybody will see it and it will not be validated. However, how do we validate what is being put on the blockchain? And that's a question, for instance, so if you go to a corrupt country, and that's why land registry, for instance, are happening mostly in non-corrupt countries where the non-digital land registry is already quite strong, is that if you have a corrupt business administrator, for instance, who is in charge of... Uh, digitalizing data and putting them on the blockchain, if he is corrupt, then anything can be put on the blockchain and then spurious data will be securely locked. So you still will need people that you can trust that are paid well enough to ensure that what is being digitalized um, has uh, veracity. I mean, at least in the short to medium term, I would say. And uh, something that you mentioned, um, I don't know, Valentina, do you uh, um, was to have your medical record perhaps on a, on a blockchain, but uh, I would have concerns perhaps uh, in terms of privacy. Like, so once perhaps my medical record or my financial statements or um, any sort of sensible information, perhaps information that I don't want either my insurance company to know or my boss to know uh, can't be stored in, in a blockchain. Could that be controversial or does that pose any, um, any threats to privacy or personal um, security? Well, I, I think the question is whether the blockchain itself is decentralized or not, because okay. um, if it's centralized and your boss owns the blockchain, then yeah, you should be worried about putting your information on there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> That's a very good clarification. <laughs> but if not, I, think, I don't think you should be. Right. Okay. I mean, look at what happened with Equifax in oh. the US. 
uh-huh. can it get worse than that? A huge breach mm-hmm. in uh, credit records. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> if you see the, the scale of what happened with the Equifax scandal, mm-hmm. uh, blockchain looks very trustworthy because of its decentralized feature. Yeah. Although it's not always decentralized, and I think that's also a key point, is that you have more and more companies, for example, banks, who start their own blockchain projects without having the attention, intention to decentralize it at all. So um, I think that it's not an in- inherent feature of the blockchain to be decentralized. So for instance, if a government uh, wants to introduce blockchain for uh, passport control or uh, immigration control, it could easily do it under its own um, rules and, and standards and do um, just implement essentially this sort of technology to keep track of who's entering, who's leaving, and whether, um, I don't know, even even if uh, people are physically changing. Right? Mm, Absolutely. Of course, because the thing is, the more participants, mm-hmm. the more decentralized. And if you have a limited blockchain in terms of the participant, in terms of the number of computers that can access the blockchain, and that's what you want, if it's government data, for instance, it's less secure. And that's why people are not so much creating their own blockchain as using the Ethereum or Bitcoin blockchain to then build their own applications because the network is so wide that it's extremely reliable. Okay, that is a great cl- uh, clarification and uh, I-, I hope uh, it's not getting too technical for, uh, for people who haven't heard of, uh, of blockchain because I myself, I'm, I'm quite new to this. Um, Me neither. So, <laughs> but, but I think we're managing to, uh, to um, to explain it in, in, in the easiest way possible. Uh, Julian, you know, or Valentina, uh, you yeah, want to go ahead? Um, mm-hmm. Josephine, we know that you're uh, researching at the moment on uh, blockchain technology in Sub-Saharan Africa, and it sounds very interesting to me, so I would like to know a bit more about uh, your research and preliminary findings, and uh, what are you looking at? So I'm looking at uh, the cases in Nigeria, Kenya, and Rwanda. I chose those countries because they have some of the biggest potential because they're, you know, you have the Silicon Valley in Nigeria, Kenya had this experience with MPESA and Rwanda, for instance, with e-government. So I thought they were an interesting panel to look like. And I wanted to see what were the applications that made the most sense. And my focus has been especially on SMEs, on business. So first of all, as George mentioned earlier, we have the remittances business, Mm -hmm. because obviously, you know, if cryptocurrency is something that you can do with is transfer money really fast and with very low costs. That's why you have companies like BitPesa, for instance, that are allowing uh, cryptocurrency transfers straight to your M-Pesa wallet. And your M- and, and M-Pesa wallet is something that is massively detained over the content, especially in Kenya. But that means that now I could transfer just exactly now Bitcoin to Nairobi. But you also have uh, really interesting things in terms of digital identity because you have countries, especially in my cluster in Nigeria, where a lot of people do not hold uh, identification. And that is a great uh, hindrance to access to finance as well, except if you're relying only on microfinance institution. So with digital identity, using, for instance, biometry, you can help people having uh, a digital financial identity Um, and also credit record keeping, which is so important, as we know, if you want to have more loans, it's fundamental to show that you have a good credit history. Something that I'm really looking uh, at as well is value chain streamlining, because um, thanks to smart contract, as I've mentioned earlier, you can streamline the whole process of value chain. You can change invoice discounting, getting 
loans just by showing that you have an invoice automatically. And for people that are a bit interested, because I think that's a company that has the potential to be a game changer, it's called Sweetbridge. And in terms of value chain financing, I can really recommend people to go and read their white paper. Sweet bridge. Sweet bridge, yes. Um, so since you're focusing specifically on Sub-Saharan Africa, do you, I mean, you're obviously still in the middle of your research, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, not expecting world-changing information here, but uh, do you see any challenges or opportunities that are particular to development, developing yeah. countries? I mean, of course we have infrastructure, first and foremost, especially for instance in Rwanda, where there's a really, really high cost of energy. So that's one of the issues. For instance, mining in Nigeria is not in Rwanda, but I mean, also in other countries is not even imaginable. So that's the first thing. Um, then, I mean, regulation can be more or less of an issue. For instance, those countries are quite wary of cryptocurrencies. Um, Kenya especially has been quite strong and um, strong-willed in limiting the use, but in terms of interest, I think that some of the, like those countries may be actually more interested because of the opportunities it allows for government for storing medical records, driving licenses at, as other OECD countries. How big of a game changer is, is blockchain? Uh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I don't want to put you in the, in the light here, but I, I was just thinking, okay, so this all sounds incredibly interesting and it seems that uh, blockchain definitely will revolutionize our world for what I, uh, for what I can see, but um, is this really the revolution that uh, many people think it is? Uh, I, I mean, it depends what your metric is. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult question, to be honest, and it's, it's also a bit early to tell. I think clearly um, the blockchain is going to be used in the future if it's not replaced by something different. I mean, that's, a, that's always the thing, you know, like uh, there's also like a lot of uh, cryptocurrencies who are not even using the blockchain itself, who have like their own thing. So um, I, yeah, I, I don't want to call any forecast here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that's a, actually a very, very good point because um, I, I was reading a few comments uh, just earlier on, and I mean, many people seem to uh, to put it as like the new dot com uh, era of uh, of our of internet yeah. or our communications, our digital era, if you will. So uh, that was a question I definitely wanted to ask. Yeah. Um, I I wanted to go back uh, away from cryptocurrencies again and and stick more with blockchain, but uh, I wanted to ask. Um, other, uh, is there any other implications that it has for things like e-democracy? Does it make e-democracy more viable? So far, we've only seen limited uses of e-democracy before in places like Estonia, for example. Does this make it more... Italy as well. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but in general, does this make it more viable? Yeah, definitely. I think that also something that can be interesting is that something that blockchain achieved is a way to build consensus. Because, so, in, in the way blockchain is built, it's, you know, all computers, all the nodes, all the actors in the network have to be validating something at the same time. So, you have to reach consensus. And I think it's an interesting metaphor for democracy in general. How do we reach consensus? How do we make sure that, you know, more than a majority agrees for something? So, that's why I opened a lot of, of ways to think about governance. I think that something is lacking in terms of 
governance in the sense of providing public goods, but in the sense of reaching consensus within a society, uh, blockchain can be quite interesting. More um, concretely, you have applications with voting rights, because for instance, if we live in a very transparent democracy, if we have the luck of living in a country which wants to share the voting records, you can imagine a place where every voter holds a copy of the voting records. Mm-hmm which means that it would be absolutely tamper-proof. And that's quite exciting. Same with public spending, for instance. We could all have a copy of public spending and then embezzlement is virtually impossible. That is actually a very good point. And, and I, I, for instance, <laughs> come from Mexico and, <laughs> and uh, before the year 2000 and, and maybe even still now, there's a, a lot of tempering with, uh, with elections. And um, there are a few clips that you can watch, but uh, the media would go and interview people. And I remember watching a very angry woman who said, uh, you know, my, my aunt, my mother and my grandmother are all voting and they all passed away already. So uh, <laughs> you, you, you can, uh, the most, this must have been like in the mid 90s or so. But uh, with blockchain, this would be essentially impossible because it would be just uh, just impossible to, to forge um, exactly. a vote. Yeah. Right. Okay. All of these are very optimistic and positive course, yes. uh, <laughs> projections, uh, not just for how far blockchain will spread, but my question is for a lot of these like non-cryptocurrency type of things, things like maintaining health records if, there, if, it's, if there's public health care in the country and, and voting records, doesn't that also increase the risk of, of government surveillance? Because these, these forms of blockchain would presumably have some sort of central authority. Um, and with that central authority then being able to access any citizen's voting record or that citizen's um, health, uh, health or, or social media, since any type of information could be stored there, for example. I mean, China, it's not explicitly using blockchain, but they're coming up with, uh, they announced that for 2020, they plan on having a, a social ranking system of some sort based on yeah. uh, good behavior on social media where citizens don't speak out against the government and things like that. Does, does the blockchain also have implications for, uh, let's say, darker uses? Um, I mean, I think that I, given the current situation, I think that if you want to hack somebody's Facebook, if you want to hack a hospital, if you want to hack anything, you can have the full range of anything that has ever been digitalized on someone right now, the way it is. So it depends I get, on the way the blockchain is built, on the way the algorithm are being built and what it allows the government. But normally thanks to cryptography, thanks to your privacy, thanks to the, exactly the way it's uh, designed, you're the only one that can attest that you have those information, that can give those informations out. And that's why, for instance, um, services that are giving now the possibility of your uh, credit record on blockchain, they're very specific on what information can be given out. And you can always control what you want to be given out thanks to cryptography. And this makes, to my mind, it way more secure than extremely hackable the, I mean, the National Health Service in, in the UK was using Windows 95. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that it's a lot more secure. Uh, but on the other hand, I think that what we see with Facebook is that people don't need to be hacked to share their information. And I think that, we, I mean, I think the blockchain could also allow some for some very crazy 
Black Mirror type scenarios where <laughs> people just trade their private information or trade their... I mean, it's also a way to tokenize everything. You can tokenize your social reputation, as you mentioned. And I think it can also lead to some very crazy developments. I, I, that's not to be ruled out at all, I think. No, I guess uh, one thing to keep in mind would be the, the kind of state to implement some sort of dystopian mechanism like this also is likely one that already is relatively invasive and already has, like you mentioned, the ability to go after most of these kinds of records uh, by force if they need to. Yeah, and what you said is, is very important that uh, we've been sharing information, particularly uh, the generation uh, that has grown with uh, Facebook and, and other sorts of uh, social media. Um, so we're just essentially providing or, or feeding information yeah. to uh, mm -hmm. to a system or to a network. So it's not very crazy to think that in, in any near future we, uh, I mean, we're going to be doing this all the time. And as soon as Internet of Things really starts happening per se, if it, if, or if not already, uh, yeah. we're going to be literally swimming in a sea of information. I mean, there's also forms of ethic question that we could ask uh, once I've talked earlier about the trustless mechanism of blockchain, which is great for trade. At the same time, on a very ethical note, one could argue that it's, that we would not be relying on any moral or social obligations, but only on algorithm. And one could argue that it's good, that I'm happy that I'm bound to someone that through an algorithm, but some people could argue that then it's deprocessing humans from you know this feeling of doing the right thing i have to pay for this good because i was exchanging exchanging this good mm -hmm. so this is not technical this is not maybe as black mirror ish <laughs> yeah. but obviously you have to, uh, ethical implications in the rise of applica uh, blockchain applications well i i can totally imagine uh we are running a bit out of time so i'm, I'm afraid that we we might have to come to a conclusion rather soon but uh julian you, you had a um a last question or any <laughs> any any last points that uh that the our panelists would like to uh to pose uh, <laughs> i think it would be interesting to have this conversation in 10 years again and see yeah, what, what happened right so, <laughs> so let's keep, meet in 10 years from now. <laughs> let's keep your calendars free <laughs> Well, thank you so very much uh, uh, to Georges and uh, Josephine for having shared well, thank uh, you. Their, their time today with us uh, in De Facto Valentina. It's great to have you back too. Thank well, you so thank very you. much. Have to be back. We, we definitely <laughs> miss you uh, over here in Chile and of course, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Ricardo, for being here. Thanks to our guests again. And um, we'll be back soon talking about the Italian elections that are oh, also yes. very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a very interesting topic indeed. And uh, once again, a quick reminder to all of you who uh, kindly listen to this podcast if you liked it, please do comment and uh, let us know what uh, kind of topics you would like to uh, to hear for the next episodes. And you can follow us in, uh, on to Facebook, on uh, iTunes, on SoundCloud. And uh, on SoundCloud and on iTunes, we only have the most recent episodes. You can also find all of our older episodes on Dropbox. They have not disappeared from the internet. Don't worry. Um, so be on the blockchain soon. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, uh, if, if you would like to be on the podcast or if you have uh, any suggestions for what our next topic should be, let us know. And of course, if you're interested in running the podcast, uh, Ricardo, myself, and Valentina are all graduating this semester, so uh, we are looking for heirs to the throne, so <laughs> please yes. do get in touch. A very, very good opportunity right there. So uh, I've been Ricardo Salas. I'm Julian Lang. I'm Valentina Caracci. And this has been DeFacto, and thank you so much for listening. Until the next time. <laughs>